you said even if you're not a Jesus follower, you got a God who's on your side. You do. I mean, that's the thing is one of the key passages in Romans is while we're yet enemies, mm-hmm. Christ died for us. Right. That's not saying we're good kids and he's coming out, hey, you kind of qualify. <laughs> Why don't you join my team? You know, No, it's you're a blankety blank and I'm after you anyway because I want you to be a more f- fulfilled person. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Hey. It's the Uncomplicated Podcast, and this is going to be one of the greatest episodes we've ever recorded really? because we have been waiting for you, Dr. Gary. Okay. That sounds like an ambush to me. <laughs> we have so many questions that come in <laughs> that are so theologically like rich, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not maybe the guy to take this on and make it as uncomplicated as possible because the truth is if you want to keep something uncomplicated— you, you, you got to be a master of the subject so you can break it down. You're the master who's in the house. And did you know that today is officially two years that I've been your student? Is that right? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. So my last three papers were due today, and this is officially the two-year mark. And so you're here to tell me they're, you're late. No, no I have them. <laughs> they will be submitted on time. Um, of all the students that you've had in your master's program, am I in the top 25? Let's just start there. Uh, top 25. Uh, probably not. Okay. All right. Welcome yeah. to the Unpublicated. We have an honest man with us today. He is going to be giving you the truth, uh, pulling no punches. He's author of so many books. I think I've read every single book you've written. Okay. I've read Vintage Jesus, Death by Love, Vintage Church. Um, but this book, Doctrine, this was this is now what's what what's with the what's what's with the re-release? It's the ten year limited yeah. anniversary revised. Well, the, the truth of it is, is when we did Doctrine back in 2010, uh, there were some mistakes in there. And the funny thing was, doing it with Mark Driscoll, he's a celebrity guy. Everybody assumed the mistakes were his, so he got credit for some mistakes I put in there. And I wanted wow. to correct him, and I couldn't, because once it's published, that's done. So part of it, we wanted to correct some of those mistakes. He had some in there, too. And part of it is the questions that we wanted to answer have changed in the past dozen years. Wow. So this is put out, to, there, a lot of questions are the same, but there's some new questions that have come up in new ways kind of thing. Like the whole trans issue, I mean, that didn't even exist as a question really in 2010. It's a frontline question today, sort of things like that. So it is updated, but the core is still the same. And frankly, it's a good book. It's a great book. It was a great book 10 years ago when I got it, and I'm excited to read the, the new edition. I don't know what you wrote in here to me. Uh, I don't know what you exactly... Oh, you wrote something. I'll save it to read it later, but good I'm idea. lucky. <laughs> yeah, it might make you mad or might make you cry. Who knows? It's like you have to do all the courses again because you're not passing this class. Um, but the what you just said about how you've gone back to fix some of the things that yeah. you see differently, That's a, that right there in itself is such a statement of your humility. And what I enjoy so much about learning from you is because... Anybody who stands there and acts like they have all the answers, right? That's kind of somebody that you're a little bit, you know, it's a little bit leery to trust that person because uh, Jesus is the answer. And so well, kind of, it says in the Bible, we know in part. Correct. So let's give it up for knowing it all. Yeah. <laughs> so you went back and you, and yeah. you fixed some things and you said, hey, I'm not going to act like I have it all together and I'm just going to keep yeah. kind of doing this. So thank you so much. All right. We got these questions that have come through and um, where can they pick up the, your, 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 your works? At this point, they can't. Okay. Uh, there's, it's a publication issue. There is a huge container of doctrine books sitting in a warehouse somewhere. Oh my gosh. Nobody knows where. My gosh, that's the world we live in right now. It is. Yeah. So okay. when I talked to Molly, 
uh, I said, how's it going? And she said, we still have not found them. So they've got another order in, but it's not arrived yet. Well, thank you for flying in today just for this. I know you ha- you're a busy man. You, you, you have, you have so- a little bit about your background. We, we call you Dr. Gary, a little bit about your background. Yep. You're a pastor to pastors. That's yep. how I recommend, yep. how I refer to you, um, because you, you're, you're our guide. You know, you help us. We, we care seriously about, you know, what we're teaching. And it's, it's, you know, you stand up there on a platform and you're, you're trying to interpret and teach scripture that's thousands of years old. And you need somebody who's dedicated their life like Dr. Gary to kind of help you break that down. So, and not just the teaching, it's just the wear and tear of dealing with other people's problems, secondary <laughs> trauma, just the in- emotional intensity of the stuff that happens. Because the only people that are closer to the front line in terrible things are police officers. Mm-hmm. Pastors are next, and along with uh, EMTs and such, and just the secondary trauma. So I do a lot of processing and stuff with people, because pastors don't have pastors in most cases. I get to do that, which I think is an incredible privilege. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you for that. Thank you for answering my text messages and taking my calls. How many times have I texted Gary before one of these podcasts or on a Sunday? Hey, I'm teaching about this. Yeah. What's the secret? Okay, let's jump into why people are tuning in today. I'm going to mix up some of these questions real okay. quick. This, this is the most theologically uh, yeah. theological dense ones we pulled out. That's why I got my Bible here. Okay, here's a great one. <laughs> How do I find God's will for my life? Oh, so people are assuming, Gary, that there's a God who, um, who's out there who cares enough about them to want to direct their life. Yeah. How do they discover that? Well, see, the first question is, why do I want to know God's will for my life? Mm. Because for a lot of people, they really don't want to know God's will. They want God to join my team. Mm. And they're not really looking for him to say, hey, I want you to do this. So that's the first question. So true. Before you ask the question, do you really want that answer? Because if he gives you an answer, then he expects you to obey it. Yes. So let's narrow the thing down here. And this is somebody, for whatever reason, they want to know, does God have a direction for my life? Doesn't mean they're a follower of Jesus yet, but I'm kind of in a perplexity. And does God have something to say to me? And the answer is he does. Mm. Uh, so when I think about that, the first thing I do is I think the the key thing there is to get serious about being like Jesus. Mm. And that is the f- most common thing he says is th- the will for his life is for us to be Christ-like people. And that's something anybody can do. Because if I look, I, I can't talk without the Bible open. So I go to a passage of Colossians 3.10. I uh, it's, it's a basic thing that's up for everybody is how to do this. And here's what he says. Uh, you have put on the new self. So here's what he wants you to do. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So you're dedicated to God and you're dearly loved. Then he said, be known for compassion, mm. kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other, forgiving each other, uh, and put on love. Mm. I mean, that's the will of God right there. That's good. And that's, when I say it, that's three quarters of the will of God is right there. Learn to be a compassionate person. So you're saying you start with, do I really even want God's will? Yes. Yeah. The, the question, you know, it really is. I remember a guy that I met one time at a skate park. He was, he, he ran the skate park, the Tony Hawk Foundation came mm-hmm. in and put this beautiful skate park in down the street from my church when I was a youth pastor, probably 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And this kid, Gary, was a young adult. He was kind of like the youth pastor to the whole park. Yeah. You know, he was he he worked for Parks and Rec, and he just you could totally tell 
he was gifted and he was in this, the right career. As we began a friendship and I talked to him about, you know, do you, you know, about God, you know, he said, wait a minute, I don't want God's will for my life. Well, no, he said, I don't want God's plan for my life. That's what he said. Okay. Because, because I want to make my own plan. And that would, that, that, that always struck me yeah. because really that's the way that we, you know, that's how we're raised. We grew up with our parents telling us, what do you want to be when you grow up? You and know? see, that's the new thing. You can be anything you want to be. What do you want to be? Yeah. And if I decide that answer for myself, then don't talk to God. <laughs> don't talk to your parents. Don't talk to the school teacher. You know, don't talk to your friends, actually. Right. Just shut yourself up and good luck. I tried that and it nearly took me to suicide as yeah. a teenager because I discovered I'm not up to the job description called God. I think a lot of people are in that place. Yeah. Well, yeah. they are. Look yeah. at the numbers of people who are thinking seriously about checking out. Yeah. And so what you would say is change, first of all, if you want to find God's will, you change it to make right. sure that it's his will that you're looking for. Right. Cause that's going to change the expectation. That's going to change. And then you said the second thing is get serious about becoming like Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, in that first thing is what is the character of God? Because he's the cosmic killjoy. Again, I don't want his, if right. he's the judge just ticked off about everything. I right. Don't want because that's not the character because the first thing, the first thing God says about himself is he is compassionate. Right. He really cares about people. Right. Exodus, and he's right? helpful. Exodus thirty four six and seven. Slow to anger. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a that that pulls you into that kind of yeah. God. See, and that's the thing. You got to. I want a picture of a God who is somebody who really cares about me, wants my best, and wants to partner together in doing good things. And that's the base. Is there a third step? Well, yeah, and then the second one is be like Jesus, right? And you don't have. You're not on your own. You've got the Holy Spirit to help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if you're not a Jesus follower, the Holy Spirit will help you grow in those kinds of things. Well, of course, people well, who do elaborate that. on that a bit, because I, I, I would imagine some people would think that unless that God's not there to help. So you said even if you're not a Jesus follower, you got a God who's on your side. You do. I mean, that's the thing. Is one of the key passages in Romans is while we we're yet enemies, mm-hmm. Christ died for us. Right. That's not saying we're good kids and he's coming out, hey, you kind of qualify. Why don't you join my team? You know, No, it's you're a blankety blank and I'm after you anyway because I want you to be a more f- fulfilled person because mm. you look like you're miserable. Right. And it's true. Right. So the character of God. So then the next thing is look at scripture and there are moral guidelines there. So one of the things that's just really frontline right now is how to use your power. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody has some power. Some people have a lot of power. How do you use it? And when you look at, say, the Greek gods, for example, which I think people still read about Zeus and Hermes mm-hmm. and those guys. Oh, they're coming out in the Marvel movies now. They're now actual characters I know. in the Marvel I, movies. That's why I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, the Marvel movies are picking up on the, on the pantheon. And look at the character of those gods. They're out to kill each other. They're consolidating power to protect myself, to give myself more privilege, and get rid of my enemies. You're talking about the new Thor movie where Russell Crowe plays Well, Zeus. I have not yeah. seen the new Thor movie. <laughs> I, I, I'm a nonviolent person, and I don't see the Marvel movies. But know, my I kids know. do, and they tell me about it. I know. Uh, but see, that's the thing. Power there is to be uh, to protect myself, to amount my own privilege, and to kill my enemies. Right. Jesus uses power to serve others right and to help them grow right very power is the same thing but how you use it's a big thing and see that's the thing if you follow the ethic of jesus he said if you want to be great that's a good thing he said learn to serve others Mm. 
if you want to be really great, become a slave of the law. So how you treat the thrown away person, do you use your power to help people? Use your power to build relationships. Uh, so that, you know, it's very, I mean, look at the political stuff, the brutalization in the political realm, uh, Marvel movies beside. And what Jesus says with power is I use power to build strength so I can help other people. What's and, interesting is you said um, it's okay to want to be great. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the person asking this question, Gary, might be like, well, how do I find God's will for my life? And then there's that question in their life, in the back of their mind, like, well, if I follow step one and I'm looking for God's will, what if it's a small life that he wants me to live? Or <laughs> what <laughs> if it's not, You just figured out that's not God's will. That's actually the devil's will. Come on. He wants you to be a little bitty blankety blank, right. and he wants to know what a schnuck you are, right. and his accusation is what he does. Mm. And what the devil does is bring you under his domination, and he actually diminishes your personhood, though he gives you great thrills and the other thing. It's like drugs. The first time you get a hit, it just does great things for you. The 47th time you get a hit, it doesn't do much for you, and you're left diminished as a person. That's Satan's way. Right. Jesus is exactly the opposite. He wants you to be great, fulfilled, and a part of an incredible team. Mm. And so that, so the first thing is cultivate a Christ-like heart. Be mm. like Jesus. The second, there are moral guidelines with things, power and money and sex, information, things like that. Right. Do that. Oh, I can't do that. Yes, you can. And God will help. Uh, so what scripture does is rule out the sin things in my life. And it doesn't talk to me individually, but when it talks about using power to serve the widow and the orphan, right? Uh, that applies to me. When it says use my money to help persons who are without means to live a lifestyle, help them get maybe pay their school bill or something like that. Uh, those are, they're not individual to me, but they apply to me. So that's mm. the, that's the well, third step. First is, why do I want it? Second is Christ-like heart. Third is scripture gives us moral guidelines mm. and we got to understand that he has designed this place and knows the better way than we do. But it sure doesn't make sense a lot of times. What do you mean give my stuff away? I'm not sure I have enough. Well, if you're in a community with people that are giving, you actually take care of each other and somebody's got your back. Yeah. Seems to me. Let me throw another question in. Is that, sure. is that all four steps? No, 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 no. Okay. No, no, no. Well, then I'll come back to the question. Yeah. I'll hold it. Yeah. Well, the next thing is, uh, is Proverbs, the whole book of Proverbs, is some directions for wisdom. Right. So my, the third step is live and act wisely. Mm. And those are not specific commands, uh, but they come in a lot of kinds of things. So when I think of wisdom, uh, I am a very untrusting person. Okay. I'm an eight on Enneagram. Mm. I control things, and I don't trust anybody by personality. Uh, so for me, to never trust somebody else is stupid. I need to trust the right kinds of people. So for me, wisdom is develop relationships and enter into trusting relationships with people and learn how to trust. Mm. That's wisdom. It's not a right. moral command, but I can't do everything by myself. Right. So I have to live and act wisely, and there's all kinds of wisdom that comes up. Uh, how do you, uh, you know, what do you do to keep track of your your money? You know, right. you, so it doesn't 
if you put it in Bitcoin, guess what? It can go really fast. Uh, <laughs> for example, I had some friends who did that. Hey, we made all this money on Bitcoin, you know, and now say, ah, my money. That kind of thing. Why am I laughing? That I shouldn't laugh. Well, sorry. <laughs> there's all kinds of things like that. So you have a certain personality. I have a certain personality. Is this thing that I'm thinking about doing in line with who I am? So you're, you're, you're almost, I'm picturing a funnel. Yeah. The first question was a big question, yeah. but it, gets you, it narrows you down. Yep. And then you just keeps narrowing you down. Yep. And now you're in this place of wisdom and yep. you're getting closer to not just the will of God, but you know, I, I, would you say the perfect will of God or the uh, optimal will no, of God? No, I don't think so. Well, well, I think how God, would you describe Well, let me hang on just a second. Let me do a couple more things here. Okay. But that's the right question. Does God have a perfect will for my life? And I don't think he does. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll get there. See, first, do I want God's will? What kind of God is he? Second, cultivate a Christ-like heart. Become like Jesus. Third is follow the moral guidelines of scripture. And sometimes that doesn't make any sense in this world. Uh, Fourth is act wisely. You know, have I really counted the cost of what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. You know, everybody goes to college. Well, have you counted the cost of that? And is that actually a worthy investment for what God is, what you're going to be doing? Wow. Uh, that's a question to ask. Got a college professor over here, been teaching totally. for 30 years or yeah. something like that. And I talk people out of going to seminary a fair number of times because <laughs> it's a cool thing, but it's not the best use of your money. Mm. You can learn Bible in other ways that are a lot cheaper and have less homework. <laughs> <laughs> you do love homework. I do. I'm here to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so the next thing to do after those is ask God. I mean, literally inquire of mm. God. Love it. Uh, prayerfully kind of things, get together with some people you can pray with without editing or talk to God. And again, you like don't have to be a Jesus follower tied in with that, though that's really good. Uh, God will talk to people. Mm. I mean, there are stories in Scripture. Cyrus is a really bad guy, king of Persia, and right. God calls him and tells him to send people Israel back to right. the land. Uh, so inquire of God and say, hey, do you got an idea? And there are some ways to do that. But the base thing is just quiet your heart and say, God, I, if you have a direction for me, I want it. Mm. Get a couple of people with you to pray together. Give it a reasonable time frame. Say, over this next week, we're going to pray about this decision or this possibility. Uh, and give it time. And I'll, it's amazing how often God will speak, but you got to test and make sure it's God. Right. Because they're deceiving spirits that, yeah, this is a God talking, and it's not. Uh, and What is the number one, you know, misstep there? Is it emotions? Is it, what What do people usually, you know, uh, what happens, if it's not God, what is it? Well, the demonic spirits okay. are part of it. Uh, just the world's way of doing things resonates in my head. True. And I can mistake that voice of the world for 100%. the voice of God. Yeah. Because I'm praying and I hear this, yeah. Go kill that guy. Because really <laughs> <laughs> you are the hand of oh, vengeance yeah, no, no. from yeah, the Lord. <laughs> exactly. And there's all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, so test the spirits. Is it consistent with God? Is it consistent with the character of God? Those mm. kinds of things. It, does it honor Jesus, who's God come in the flesh? Uh, and that brings us down to uh, what I call a range of blessable options. And there's actually quite a few of them. You know, my fun story is... Uh, in the Garden of Eden, God creates Adam and Eve and says, of any tree of the garden, you may freely eat except that one, the tree of knowing good and bad. So Eve, wanting to be the perfect wife, believing there's a perfect will of God, goes to God and says, God, what, 
what should I fix for my husband? Because I want I this is my first meal for him, and I want it to be outstanding. <laughs> and he says, "If any tree of the garden you may freely eat, yeah, I know that God, but I, what is the perfect? What is the perfect thing? Should I use the apricots or the pineapples?" Any tree of the garden. <laughs> I mean, you can play it out. But the thing of it is, there's a whole range of blessable options. Right. What do I do now when there are several good options because you narrowed the funnel down, as you said? So it's consistent with God's character. It's consistent with Jesus. It's not against moral of God. You rule out the sin stuff. You, it's wise. You rule out the stupid stuff. And God didn't give a particular direction. Okay, the next step is, and especially if you're a Jesus follower, ask what will make me most deeply and long-term happy. Mm. What will make me most deeply and long-term happy. I, I, what I, my experience is that people ask that question first. That's the problem. Right. It's like, how do I find God's will for my life? Well, let's start with what I'm most passionate about and what's going to make me the happiest. That must be what God wants. And more often, what will get me through the night? Right. But then you got great verses like, you know, Psalms, I think it's 34, 37. I don't remember where it says that God will change the desires of your heart when you delight in him. Yeah. Right. And so if you ask that question at the front end, and you're just going, hey, what makes you the most happy? You don't even know what makes you the most happy. You don't even know yet. No. no. See, that's that's a mistake. If you put me at the beginning of it, send me at the right. end of the process, uh, it'll be a train wreck. You get to the end of the, you get you're near you're you're at the end of this funnel here. You're you're t- you're, t- you're following these steps, and now you're getting into the what makes what makes you happier. Right. What's what brings most passion or joy? Yep. And I love when you describe God like that because He does care. He does. And the, what happens when I inquire of God and there's nothing there, then my picture of God comes up. Mm. Uh-oh, I've been a bad boy. He's not talking to me. Right. Well, that may be true. But if actually in the steps before that, if you're looking for a Christ-like heart and following the moral will of God and those kind of stuff, that's not the case. Right. He's a loving Heavenly Father who does want to talk. Mm. Mm. Uh, but again, he didn't say anything. Am I in trouble? You know, uh, maybe let's see if, if you're doing something really sinful or stupid, but probably not. Let's, let's look at it. But that's where that picture of God becomes so important. Is, does God really want my best? Uh, and then what will make me most deeply happy uh, it becomes a very real question at the end of the funnel, not at the beginning of the funnel. When I first started following Jesus, I felt like, you know, because I started following Jesus at 20. I was raised in church, but I, I walked, I rebelled hard. Yep. I, at 20, I, I got on my knees, I gave my life to Jesus. And um, by the end of the day, I already knew what I was supposed to do. Like, I already knew my next step. Yep. He was so faithful to tell me what to do. Yeah. And um, it was crazy, because I hadn't heard from God in so long, and he was just, he was eager to talk to me. He was eager to give me direction. And I just wonder if there's anybody watching right now, and you, you're believing that lie, where you're like, I've been a bad boy, so God's not going to talk to me. In fact, I was actually at a, a, a jiu-jitsu tournament two, uh, a few weeks ago, and somebody was saying something about praying, and I heard this competitor say this out loud. He goes, man, Jesus hadn't talked to me in a long time. Whoa. And I just heard him <laughs> say that, and I was like, wow, I wonder how many people feel like God's given in the silent treatment, yeah. and they're not even trying anymore. And see, that's where I want to come back to that fifth step, inquire of God, which is stop talking, turn your phone off, mm. Get in a spot where you can actually hear what mm. God might be wanting saying to you. Because sometimes you'll speak, 
you know, in very dramatic ways, but more often it's this, it's this gentle sound of compassion. Yeah. But you got to have room and listen because he speaks in that sound of gentle silence a lot of times. He does. And when you're really busy or if you're giving the middle finger in your life, then surprise, you may not hear him. It's not that he's not talking. You're just overriding what he's saying. Right. So why don't you take us through the steps one more time for those okay. that are saying, hey, how do I find God's will for my life? Base thing is, do I really want God's will for my life? Do, do I believe that God really cares about me? That kind of stuff. Because if you don't want his will, don't just jack out and, you know, yeah. go head off and do something else. Right. Don't pretend like you're things. So then the next step is look at the life of Jesus. I want to be like him. Right. Have a Christ-like heart. Uh, then there are specific moral commands in scripture about power, money, sex, information, and others. Uh, you need to get your life in line with that. Mm. God will help. Community will help. But if there's sin in your life, it will hinder your prayers. Mm. Psalm 66. Mm. Uh, if you treat your wife badly. Right. Justice, if you treat Maria badly. First Peter. First Peter. Seven, yeah. I know that says one. He, yeah, I know okay, that one. Just, just pointing this <laughs> out along the way. Dwell with understanding <laughs> yeah. so that the Lord yeah. does not hinder your prayers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, and then live and act wisely. And there's a lot of wisdom but be sure that the wisdom is founded on the fear of God, mm-hmm. not um, narcissism, because that's right. Satan's way is narcissistic. Right. And then inquire of God. Ask for a specific, do you have an opinion in this, God? And do it honestly. A lot of times he says nothing, and that says he's okay. You, your funnel is good. Sometimes he steps and says, do this, okay, do it. Uh, and then, but once you've done that, then it's one of several blessable options. Blessable options. Yeah. That's yeah. why I don't like the term perfect will of God, because I think many times there are a number of blessable options, any one of which will be fine. Right. Uh, then we uh, then we pick one. He's a big God. He, he is. And there's a lot going on. He's at he work. Is. He's doing a lot of stuff. Yep. You, you could fit into his plan. Yep. And so for me, as a nonviolent person, to give my life to producing movies about Thor would be a really bad choice. Right. Even if I can make a bazillion dollars doing it, it's just not me. Right. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's the sort of thing you've got to put that all together. But, you know, do I really want to be like Jesus? Yeah, I do. Okay, go for it. But you know, What I was going to say a second ago about when I first came to Christ, because I'm, I'm, as you're telling that story, I'm thinking about how I have, I've gone down this journey. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember, you know, it really felt like, almost like, God would just stop things from happening. It was almost like I was, I hate to say it this way because it's a terrible way to say it. I was like a rat in the maze, you know? Like okay. I just like run into the wall, boom. And then I would like turn. Okay, well, I'm not going that way. And then I would turn and, <laughs> boom, and then run into the wall, right? And like in the very beginning, it just seemed like yeah. there was just so much in my life that, that God was doing. And then you kind of get to the place where, you know, now I'm, I'm getting up every day and I'm thinking about a church and I'm thinking about a wife and I'm thinking about kids. Well, not in that order. I'm thinking about a wife. <laughs> then I'm thinking about my kids. I'm thinking about, church. I'm thinking about, you know, serving people. And, you know, I start my day on my knees like, Lord, this is your day. And I just kind of further along in this place where, not further along, maybe maybe just in, in trusting God. I've been trusting God for a while now. And now I feel like it's not like I'm running into a wall like a, like a, like a rat running into a, a, in a maze. I feel like I'm going down the down the highway yeah. and the lights are just green yep. and like, I'm just, it's just green light, green light, green light. And then sometimes, you know, I'll get like a yellow light from uh-huh. the Holy spirit or a red light, yep. you know, but for a lot of people that I, I talk to Gary, it's like, they're waiting 
for the will of God for their life. Yes. Like I'm just waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Yep. In fact, I, last week I preached a sermon where I had a jump rope on the stage and I was talking oh, yeah. about like when the jump rope's going and you're kind of like doing that time before you jump in. And a lot of people just get stuck in this place because they're waiting for God to tell them what to do. Right. And um, I think I think maturity, I think trust and faith is when you get to a place where you realize like there's a lot of blessable options out there. There are. And I, I would wonder if you're, what would be your caution to somebody who is, you know, so hung up on this perfect will of God idea that they're, they're not, they're not making a difference with their life. Well, that's the biggest thing right there is I, if I wait for the perfect will of God, I will never feel the will of God. Mm. I mean, that is really true. If I'm waiting for the perfect will of God, because many times he doesn't have a perfect will. Mm. Now, sometimes he does, uh, you know, my my story is I was going to be a missionary in the Philippines. I'd spent three years over there at Faith Academy teaching and life-changing kind of thing. Okay, I'll go back and become a missionary Bible college teacher. And so I did seminary and I did my PhD. Uh, and I was finishing up, headed the Philippines, and it's really good. Lights are green. I've got, I know what I'm going to do. I've got a mission board behind me. I've already developing support, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And God interrupted my life and said, go to Western Seminary up in Portland. How old were you at the time? Uh, at that point, I was 31. And I said, there is no chance in this entire worth I'm going to go to Western Conservative Baptist Seminary. I know that place. And that's because you love being a missionary. Well, no, it's because I didn't like what Western was doing. It was a gotcha. fundamentalist school, and they were known for a lot of bizarre kinds of things and what they were against. The whole gotcha. ethos of the school was not me. Right. And I said, there's no way I'm going up there. And God said, <clears throat> <laughs> so, okay. So, I mean, it was a, it was almost a year long process to make sure that really was what God was saying. Cause I didn't want it at all. I want to be a missionary in the Philippines and I still would like to be there, but that was 42 years ago. Uh, but God said, go, sometimes he has a perfect will. Well, what I didn't know I discovered was Western seminary was moving away from that fundamentalist spirit and mm-hmm. moving more toward a, where it is now a strong evangelical a Christ-honoring school, uh, and my going up there was a piece of that. So that's where sometimes he does have a perfect will, and you got to be willing to do what you don't want to do sometimes. Yeah, he had a perfect will for Mary, the mother of Jesus. He did. He had a perfect will for yeah. uh, Noah. It's going to be a little <laughs> rough out there. Yeah, it, it could get you. It could get you killed. Yeah, you know, literally. Uh, but that that's less often I find than a re- several blessable options. There's people right now their minds being blown because you're taking the pressure off of them right. to say, hey, choose any of the trees in the yeah. garden. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Once yeah. you get to this place where you've followed these steps, it's your, your, your life's it's getting bigger, not smaller. Exactly. And there are a range of options, any one of which will contribute to the kingdom of God and any one of which is something that you will find yourself, man, that is, it's really challenging. But this, look what's happening. God, praise. This is wonderful. Oh, man, this is hard. Yeah, God, is getting your job done, you know. And, uh, yeah, that's a complication that happens a lot of times because uh, it's really hard, but it's really, you see what's happening. Encouraging answer. I think that's going to help anybody who's who's authentically, you know, saying, God, I want my life to yeah. matter. Um, all right, we got more questions. Let's get to it. And here's the next one. Why should I trust the Bible when Constantine edited it for its own purposes? <laughs> you know where this question is coming from? I don't. Okay, so um, anybody who watches the Joe Rogan podcast, he oh. said this a number of times. He oh, really? Said, yeah, you can't trust the Bible 
because Constantine is oh. the one that, you know, whatever. Is so the, any, Ro- the Roman emperor who was in a power trip, yeah. So is there any validity to that? None. Okay. I, <laughs> I, just, I'm I love laughing. that it makes you laugh. Yeah. I mean, the thing of it is, we're talking about the New Testament now. Right. We have nearly complete manuscripts of the New Testament that grad, that go back to no later than about 175 A.D. Mm. Constantine didn't come along for like 150 years after that. Mm. So he did not edit the Bible. Okay. Uh, he was a power guy, and he did stuff, uh, to be sure, in stuff in the church, but he didn't edit the Bible. Uh, the New Testament, again, we have almost complete manuscripts of the New Testament that go back to perhaps as far as 150 AD, which would be 100 years after the major events. And we have fragments that go back further than that. So when I look at, is the New Testament authentic? Uh, We actually have a lot of manuscripts, a lot of, like we have 20,000 handwritten Latin Greek uh, manuscripts of the Bible. We have almost 6,000 Greek manuscripts and many of those are prior to, you know, they go back in the, oh gosh, how far back? Most of them would be back, you know, in the two, three hundreds. Uh, and it's not like we don't have stuff. We've got a lot of stuff. And then you've got church fathers that are quoting. We've got like a million quotations. We've got all kinds of stuff. And Constantine had no part in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love you, Joe. <laughs> Joe Rogan, we love you. Like, love to have you, you on the show. Kidding me? Uh, but um, that is some misinformation yeah. that you've been handed. Yeah. And unfortunately, misinformation like that keeps people from. You know, people don't need a reason not to trust the Bible. They don't. They already don't want to trust the Bible. Well, there's lots. There's reason not to do it, but right. that's not what I'm. The bigger question, and it it really is a question, legitimate, is are do we have the do we have the right books of the Bible? Mm. Because one of the things is there's books that. Well, uh, Da Vinci Code was a real famous. Right, right, book right, right, right. And the point was that a bunch of stuff was thrown out because male patriarchy people didn't want those feminine-oriented things, so they threw them out. Right. I remember reading that yeah. book when it came out and yeah. having no idea what it was about and just being, like, super into yeah, it. And, like, when that story. part hit, I was like, <gasps> what? What is that? <laughs> those male blankety-blank-blank. <laughs> well, the thing of it is, if you go back and look historically, in the first— hundred years of the church, there are only four gospels. Right. There are only four in existence, period. Right. And it's like there, I mean, we know other stuff's floating around, you know, Shepherd was, of Hermes and that kind of stuff. But the supposed false gospels, the biggest one is Gospel of Thomas. Thomas, right. And it's at least 200 years later. And when people look at the Gospel of Thomas, my first thing yeah. is take your phone out and look at it. Because right. nobody's ever read it. Right. Okay, let's read it. And the last thing in the Gospel of Thomas is Peter says to Jesus, uh, send Mary away because she's a woman. Right, right, right. And you expect Jesus to, you know, scream at him, you jerk. And what Jesus says, well, yeah, that's true, but we can make her a man and then she can enter the kingdom of God as well. Gosh. Why do we not accept the gospel of Thomas? Because it's trash like that that's it's in garbage. there. Yeah. It's garbage. Now, there's some good stuff in there. There's a gospel of Judas out there. Who'd want to read that one? <laughs> I'm not trusting that one. Yeah, a lot of these I'm going to go on record and say yeah. Judas is my least favorite disciple. Is How about right? you? Uh, well, yeah. Okay. I, I, think I, I, I hate to agree with this. I hate to agree with you. I hate to agree with you, Justice, but I, I guess this time I do. I was um, actually doing some <laughs> research recently uh, via TikTok. I don't know what you follow oh, on yeah. TikTok, but there was a guy yeah. talking about how maybe the earliest manuscripts of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
they could have been written <clears throat> within the lifespan of the authors. So like John coming out last, he, he was saying that that could have been within the lifespan, you know, within one, with one generation of, of yeah. Christ. He says, you know, even in, when, when Luke, which wasn't written last, I mean, John was written after that, you get back into who knows, 60 AD or something yeah. like that. Then you have, you have, uh, Acts and Acts doesn't end with Paul's death, right? So that it's it's argued it's it's argued that you know Paul was still alive when that was coming out. So I mean we we got some early we got yeah. some early eyewitnesses yeah. putting together those gospels, yeah. and then we have like you said all these copies that just bring further validation because there's no errors in the transcripts as there being you know yeah. copyist errors. Yeah, there there are. Uh, there are some places in the Bible we do not know what the original was. Right. It's like 400 words out of 20,000 words in the Bible, something like that. Uh, 20,000 lines, not not 20,000 words. There are like 40 lines, 400 words that we're not sure what it is. But none of them have any impact on the meaning of the Bible. Right. Uh, they're just, I mean, I could go into details. If you want to get hold of me offline, I'll be glad to do that. But there's, uh, there are a number of books. Craig Blomberg has a, you know, Can I Trust the Bible? It's not exact title, but it's pretty close to that. And he just goes through it. It's not hard to get this figured yeah, out. I have that book. Yeah. Have you read it? I don't know, man. You, know. You give, you, <laughs> I give you, you a lot you of seconds. You make us order yeah, a lot. Amazon has made some money <laughs> off of me these last two years, just yeah. ordering books. So what would you yeah. say to the person? Because the heart behind that question, Dr. Gary, is how do I trust the Bible? That's right. what they're saying. And if I'm looking for reasons to distrust the Bible, it's easy to do. Okay. Because if I come with my 21st century American worldview and I come to the Bible, I say, well, that doesn't make any sense. And it's true because he says, serve the widow, the orphan, those kind of things. And Americans don't do that. It's just not part of our right. thinking. It says build communities of faithfulness and justice and mix communities and forgive people. Don't go out and make TikTok videos about them. Right. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of things in the Bible. If I come with my personal 21st century worldview, I can throw the Bible out. Don't go back and try to say Constantine edited or wrote it because he didn't. Well, how was that process then put together? How do we have the selected books? Because, you know, my Catholic friends have different uh, yeah. version of the scriptures or not version. No. They have additions. Uh, the not in the New Testament. Okay. The Old Testament, there's a, what we call the Septuagint, which okay. are some books that are added and because that's not in the, if you read a Jewish Bible, a Hebrew Bible, you will not have those in there. If you read the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, which is done a couple of centuries before Jesus, those books are there. And they're fine books. There's nothing wrong with them. But they're always called deuterocanonical, second canon. Uh, and if you want to put them in your canon, that's fine. But I'm going to go with the Bible Jesus would have used, which would have been the Hebrew canon. Mm-hmm. And so I'll do that, and I'll give, imp, I'll give interest and read the, what we call the Apocrypha, uh, but I, I won't give it the same level of authority as canonical scriptures, and that's a big debate in the church. But frankly, it makes no difference in the belief of the church because they don't impact the actual teaching of the church at all. Uh, so that's really a non-issue. The New Testament, though, the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, the uh, Protestant Church agree completely on the books of the New Testament. So there, there are some um, either copyist errors or some yeah, yeah. kind of contradictions oh, in yeah. there. Like, you know, I'm thinking of one version. Uh, it says in Luke, I think it is, that he, 
is on top of the house and he digs through the house to lower the paralytic down. And then another version maybe says that he removed tiles, right? Yeah. Where it says like one, there was, you know, two, two angels there when there's one angels there. So well, those are just different stories. And when your people are telling stories, they're going to give their personal story. So is there two angels at the tomb after Jesus resurrected or one angel? Well, it doesn't make any difference. Like, doesn't calm make difference. down, forget it. Right. Yeah. The, uh, the place where, uh, like the, what's the last of the Lord's prayer? If you, if you grew up a church brat, right. It's for thine is the power and the kingdom, kingdom, the power and the glory forever. And that's in the new King James, right? Well, it's, see, that's a textual issue, right? That was, that's a later edition that did not, if you the prayer that Jesus gave us via the uh, Matthew's one we quote uh, ends with forgiveness, uh, with, yeah. So somebody apparently wrote that in, and it got put into the manuscript, and that became one textual tradition. Mm-hmm. But we know that's not the original because the older manuscripts and all the older manuscripts omit that. See, that's why we call textual criticism. Those are empirically testable things. Mm-hmm. So, but what is actually in the Bible, it's 99.9, in the New Testament, 99.5% textually pure. We know what's in the Bible, Mm. and the Bible's documents are ancient because you've got old copies of the Bible just within at least 100 years of when it was written. Something that encouraged my faith, too, for those of you that are looking at maybe some of these things and saying, well, you know, because like you said, we come from this Western perspective where we're like, we look at literature different. And so you said, well, when you're telling a story... Well, people aren't thinking that. They're thinking, well, Luke says this and Mark says this. So they're yeah. they're kind of piecing, piecing this together. And if it's not a perfect match, they're saying, oh, well, then you can't trust it. But actually, I think scholars would say that those little errors actually bring should give yes. you greater trust. Yes. Because when the copyists could have copied that, they could have changed them to make it fit. Yeah. And they didn't. Because In some cases, too- they did. That's where some of the textual errors came because they correct one to make it like the other. And that's actually an error. Right. Yeah. What you're saying is exactly right. Say it again. You said I it just, well. I, uh, Mark Clark wrote a great book yeah. called The Problem of Jesus. Yep. Or, and he also wrote a book called The Problem of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, fantastic books. And he was talking about, because he, he wrote it for skeptics. And he was saying, hey, these little discrepancies are actually, he has a word for it, what those in academia, those historians would say, this is actually proves that this is, this is true yeah. because it hasn't been edited out. Anytime you edit something out, you're trying to cover something up. Yep. You know, my thing is, I, I, I think the Bible passes the criterion of embarrassment. Yes. And that actually makes it more authentic he because it's got this. a lot of embarrassing details in there. What political campaign comes in, well, my guy was a total blankety blank. Right. Like a year and a half ago. And he still thinks like that. And he's probably still a blankety blank, but we're going to run him for president. I mean, right. nobody does that. Now, the opponent may do that, but the Bible tells the failure of Peter, who's the head of the I was just thinking that. He would not want to put that in there. No. (laughs) You edit that out unless you're authentic. Why do you have women being the first witnesses of the resurrection? Because in that world, that actually gives less credit to it. Right. Because that's the way it actually happened. Right. The angel spoke to the women and said, go tell the disciples that he is not here. He is risen. If you want to convince the world of the resurrection, in the first century, you do not make the eye, the first eyewitness somebody who would not have been able to testify in court. No. You you no. put somebody more reputable, more trustworthy in that time to be the, the to be totally. the Totally. But yet God says, "No, no, no. I don't roll like that." God yeah. says, "This is how it goes down." 
he uses women are the first ones yeah, to witness and then probably laughs up in heaven i'm yeah. gonna show you guys that patriarchy isn't the way to go <laughs> and so good yeah but that was the worldview of that day in that context all right well hey that's a great answer to that i hope that brings some encouragement to those of you because it is a huge issue for people going yep. that book is too old how can i you know it was interesting i was getting my hair cut the other day and the barber said how can you trust you know the bible if it was 2000 years written how can you trust that it's still true and i just told him i said you know nicely i was like if something was true 2000 years ago truth is truth like it doesn't truth doesn't change yeah details change but those details are not in the bible mm. and that's the thing is there's a lot of things the bible doesn't speak to right and a lot of things we've learned a lot since then well it's things like genetics or something right. moral character I mean, you go back and read the biographies and read biographies today. It's the same stuff. Right. People are self-centered and they start lying to protect themselves. That's not a new problem. Right. Or you read the Gospel of Luke, which has just got a lot of details in it. Yes. The year of Tiberius yeah. under the Caesar of so-and-so. And, -so, and yeah. it's like, man, this is, this is a historical. This is, you can line this up with history and tell us if this is actually you know, true. And so um, if it was true back then... Why wouldn't it be true today? Yeah. You, just, you can't just look at something and say, oh, it's so old that it's outgrown truth, right? right. So, hey, let's get into the next questions. Okay. Um, and let's conclude this episode. Okay. <laughs> I'd do that. <laughs> Thank you for being with us, and we'll <laughs> see you in the next episode, Dr. Gary. <laughs>